0: Doing? Hey, that's better than last week. Man, it hey, when it gets below a hundred, I guess everybody comes alive again. <laughs> I feel like I'm a I'm a brand of grass. I go dormant after when it gets into triple digits, I'm like, I'm I'm done. You don't want to eat. And for anyway. Glad you're here tonight. Thank you for being with us online. We're glad that you've tuned in tonight and uh I pray that you're sitting in a nice air conditioned room and Uh, enjoying just a beautiful Wednesday evening. Let's open up in prayer. How many have a need tonight you'll just signify by lifting your hand? If you're online tonight, if you'll comment, we will certainly want to pray with you as well. Uh, Again, we want to continue praying for our nation, uh, for revival in particular. Uh, Again, that's, you know, there's, there's so many distractions out there and so many opinions about this or that. You know, we just really need revival. Revival is just falling in love with Jesus again. And we we need that to sweep across our country. Father, we love you tonight, and we're so grateful, again, to be able to come together, uh, Lord, to study your word. Uh, Lord, I thank you for just just a beautiful day. Lord, I thank you for the mild temperatures this morning, Lord. I thank you for, uh, Lord, just a beautiful sunshine. Uh, Lord, just, again, around us there are constant reminders of your uh, loving care and your tender mercies. And, Lord, as we open up tonight, Lord, we do so, Lord, just by acknowledging that each of us, we're needy people. Uh, Lord, we don't have to go very far to find human need, Lord. We all have need, and those that have joined us online, uh, Lord, I thank you that you are, uh, Lord, you're available to us, and I just pray no matter what the need is, no matter what the situation is, uh, I ask, Father, that you would just intervene. For those that need a healing touch tonight, Lord, that you would do so. Lord, for those that need some encouragement tonight, Lord, I pray that you would encourage them. Uh, Lord, those that are uh, struggling. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you would just come and be a comfort and be a strength and guide to them. Father, for all the ministries that are taking place on the campus tonight, uh, we ask that you would be exalted and lifted high in all things. And Father, I pray uh, again we unite our voices and pray for revival in our country. Lord, from border to border and from coast to coast, uh, Lord, we pray that uh, Lord, that you would just ignite passion and hearts and set, afla- set aflame uh, your believers, Lord, and let us be salt and light in these dark and difficult times. Father, I ask you to be with us in our time of study. Open our hearts and let us hear what the Spirit says to us. We commit it now to you in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. amen. God bless you. you. may be seated tonight. Go ahead and turn with me to the book of Ruth, uh, book of Ruth, chapter 2, uh, as we get into our study Couple of announcements. Uh, don't forget, uh, Sunday is our Celebrate America. We have having one service. We are having Sunday school. I think there was some misunderstanding uh, there. We are having Sunday school at nine forty-five, uh, but we do have. We're just doing one service at the ten forty-five. Wear your patriotic. Pardon me. Wear your patriotic shirts. Uh, bring a veteran. Bring a friend. Bring your neighbor. Uh, f- see a hitchhiker. Bring them. Uh, some of you know who Paul Eckert is. We've had him a couple times. I served on the board with uh, Brother Paul for many years with the Dallas Teen Challenge. And he was notorious for picking up hitchhikers. Um, and he always said that they were a captive audience. <laughs> and uh, and he led many to the Lord. Uh, led many to the Lord by doing that. I don't know that today's world would be such a great idea. But anyway, uh, no, bring people. We're going to have a great day. Uh, again, celebrating God and country. Again, no matter where we are right now as a nation, the bones are good. We have a great heritage of faith and belief in God uh, and principles. In fact, you know, our, the very documents of our nation's founding uh, pulled the, the majority of their information from Scripture. Is how it was written, and we get to celebrate that. We get to celebrate God. You know, The Bible says, whom the Son makes free is free indeed. And so we get to celebrate freedom on Sunday. Uh, we are having a barbecue lunch afterwards. Uh, so come and plan to hang out with us and have a good time. Uh, food distribution a week from tomorrow. Uh, so that's back up on us again. Um, and we look forward to being able to serve. Some of you asked about the fireworks stand. We are, I know there was an order issued in the county that you cannot uh, pop fireworks, but we are contractually obligated to open. So you, so the way the order is, you can sell them, but you can't use them. So anyway, we still have our fireworks stand that's happening out off of uh, South One Seventy One there, uh, here in Cleburne. Um, let's get right into our teaching tonight. Oh, and again, don't forget, a week from Sunday, ten days from now, I'll begin a new series on hot topics for hot times, and it will be a very informative. Again, I'm really working hard to. Uh, you know when we've done things like this before, and I, you know, I've always tried to approach uh, tough subjects with dignity and with with love and with tact. You know, uh, tactfulness. It, it's it, it doesn't us, us no good to get up on a soapbox and try to beat people over the head and spew all kinds of hatred and vitriol. That's not what we're here for. Uh, but we do the, we do need to understand what Scripture says about where we are in, in society. We need to be able to pass that information on to our children. They need to know. There's, there are issues that they're facing that none of us faced in school. I mean, they, absolutely, some of the stuff that they, have, that they have to deal with, we didn't, we had no clue. I mean, we had our own issues, not, you know, for sure, but nothing like what they have today. And so we want to weigh in on, see what God's Word says about some of these hot button issues today. Uh, let's get right into it. Tonight we're going to be talking about Providence, uh, Providence. Ruth, a story of redeeming love. Again, up to this point, you know it's been an interesting uh, couple of weeks as we started unpacking the story of Ruth. Uh, the story of Ruth again. Uh, chapter one is a very sad story. Uh, you know, if you were if you were to make a movie, they probably have made a movie on Ruth. I guess I don't know, but it would be very sad to start out. It would be one of those. Uh, you know, if, if things could get worse, it does. You know, so it goes from bad to worse. They they, they live in Bethlehem, the house of bread. They have a famine. Uh, Elimelech makes a decision to pack up his family, his wife, his two boys, move to Moab, which was a violation of the Word of God. But he does it anyway because they had bread there. And ten years later, uh, Naomi is coming back to Bethlehem, but she's a widow and her two sons. Uh, so she buried all three of her loved ones in Moab uh, is coming back with her daughter-in-law. So, uh, you know, it's a sad story. But when we left last week, the interesting thing was, uh, you know, again, you and I get to read with, with history in mind. We, we see it from a different perspective. We know the story's about to change. And so tonight, let's, let's, let's start seeing what happens here. Verse number one, we'll just read three verses. So there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And notice this phrase here. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Don't you like that? She so happened to glean in that field. May the Lord add his blessing to his word tonight. Again, as I said, as, she, uh, as, as we see, Naomi now returns back to the land of blessing, her homeland, Bethlehem. And again, when she arrives, she arrives back to Bethlehem with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, and remember what she said when she came in, they all came out to greet her. Again, it would, would have been a very big surprise. It was probably a very small village at that time, very small uh, group of people, known everybody's business, known Elimelech may in fact have come from an influential family in that, in that village. And so when Naomi comes back, they notice that, you know, obviously he's not with her and the boys are not there. And they call her name. Remember, Naomi means pleasant one. And so she says, don't call me Naomi, or don't call me pleasant, call me Mara. Mara means bitter. Uh, And then she gives the reason why, because she said, I left full, and the Lord was against me, and I returned empty. Um, And so, again, we left her last week as a dejected and a bruised believer. Again, she doesn't know what you and I know, okay? Okay. You know, we get the advantage of reading the story as history. She's living it out in the moment. And it's like some of us, no matter where we are, uh, some of us have a chapter right now where things are going really well for us. And then perhaps some of us have a chapter that's happening right now that is not so pleasant. But that's what we know. We don't know the end of the story. We just know the chapter that we're in. And see, that's the thing with Naomi. She comes back dejected and bruised, and uh, she doesn't know what we know. All she can see and all she can think about is she's a widow uh, living in in her homeland, which would prove to be a very difficult assignment, but God is at work. Remember, the hero of the story of Ruth is not uh, not Ruth, it's not Naomi. It is God, the unseen hand of God, who behind the scenes is orchestrating a pretty incredible miracle. Again, that that story is for you and I because, again, no matter where we are in our chapter and our life story, God is still behind the scenes working uh, incredible things on our behalf. Paul, writing to the Romans, says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. We might not perceive the purposes of God, but we can be assured that He's working it out in our favor and for our good. Again, all she can see is trouble, uh, but God is at work. And I mentioned this in the first session. Again, the hero of the story is the unseen hand of God because unbeknownst, I had to figure out how to spell that, unbeknownst. <laughs> uh, unbeknownst to Naomi, it, God, God is going to take her tragedy and turn it into a triumph. And those are stories we like. I mean, I, I don't know about you, I love the story of underdogs. I love, I love seeing the underdog win. And, and, and in the story, you see God behind the scenes. He's turning the events of, of something up to this point. It's been very tragic, but now he's turning that story around to make something very beautiful out of it. Again, Benjamin Franklin used this story to convince a bunch of French aristocrats. I said it uh, to to uh, of the of the validity of the word of God and the beauty of the word of God. See, as Christians, we believe in the sovereignty of God. Now, the sovereignty of God, in a very in plain, in a nutshell, simply means he ex, he exists totally and complete. He doesn't need anything added to him or anything taken away. He is sovereign. Doesn't need us. Doesn't doesn't need our opinions doesn't need our counsel he is self-existent health, self-contained if that makes sense you know we believe that through his sovereignty that god is working through the events both the good and the bad in order to accomplish his plans and his purposes i mean you think about um, you think about moses and, and how god through his uh, the sovereignty of god uh, and the providence of god and we'll talk about that in a minute how how moses was saved even though all the other babies were being killed, he was saved, and how it just so happened that Pharaoh's daughter finds him in the, in the river and takes him in. I mean, again, all of these things, we look at that and we see that God, even in tragic situations, he's working something pretty incredible. Uh, again, this is an area of struggle for many people. Um, in fact, I think some people find it easier to doubt God's plan than to actually believe God's plan. Uh, Now, most of us have probably heard this saying at one time or another, that God does not bring us this far to fail. In fact, there was a song years ago that said, God didn't, uh, he didn't bring us this far to leave us. He didn't teach us to swim, to let us drown. I think, I don't remember who sang that, but, but again, this statement is talking about the doctrine of providence. The English word providence has two parts, pro and video. Providence, pro and video. And together, it literally means to see before, to see before. Uh, again, even though the word itself is not found in the Bible, the concept is there, and it refers to God's oversight of the universe. You know, you, you hear us talk about at times how that God knows the beginning from the end. You know, I, I, I've often said, now you think about how that there, there are people today that that want to protest about well, if God was so loving and God was compassionate, then why doesn't He do something? And my answer has always been, He has. 2,000 years ago, He sent His only begotten Son to be the atoning sacrifice for us. Well, but we still live in a world that's under a curse. But God's already established a date in the future when that's going to be taken care of. You know, Paul said, all of creation is groaning for what? For the day of redemption. There's already a day that's already been established. Now, we don't know when it is, but there was a beginning point, and there's an end point, and God sets the boundary. So we are somewhere on the timeline of God. In the beginning, God created. We believe that. That was the starting point, and then he makes all things new. That's the timeline, and God is, he is there everywhere. He already knows. You know, again, this is the doctrine of God's providence. It teaches us that God cares about the smallest details of life. Nothing escapes him. In fact, when it comes to God, there really is nothing big or small. He knows when a sparrow falls, right? He, he numbers the hairs on our head. He keeps track of the stars in the skies. And the Bible says not only, does he, uh, not, is, not only is he the one who set them out in their orbits, he calls them all by name. That's the providence of God. The rivers and the oceans, how they, the rivers that flow into the ocean. He, he's in charge of it. He sets the day of our birth. He uh, sets the day of our death. He orders everything that comes in between. We've, read, we've all read the little poem about the dash, the birth date and the death date. Listen, he establishes our birth date, our death date, and everything in between. It's ordained of God. The Bible says, listen, if I don't believe that, and I don't believe in the sovereignty of God. If I don't believe that, I don't believe in the providence of God. He orders all of those things. The doctrine of God's providence also teaches us that nothing is wasted by God. One scholar put it like this, there are no no accidents with God, only incidents. There are no, no, oops, I didn't see that coming. (laughs) None of that. Again, it's kind of hard for us to wrap our brains around because we are very linear people. We can only see and experience in the moment, but God is outside of time. He's in eternity and he knows the beginning from the end. He already knows what's going to happen. He already sees. And again, it's very hard for us to wrap our our brains around it, but again, uh, there are no accidents, only incidents. And this includes events that to us seem like senseless tragedies. Again, I think about the senseless violence that we see uh, in, going on in our world right now, and man's inhumanity to man, and to us it makes no sense, but but there's God's working a greater plan that we can't even begin to imagine. Again, Paul really that's what Romans 8 and 28 really illustrates very much for us that God will often use the difficult moments and the human tragedies to accomplish his purpose. His purpose. Many verses in the Bible teach. Again, the word providence is not found in the Bible, but many verses teach about the providence of God. Acts 17, 28 says it's in him that we live and move and have our very being. In Colossians 1, 17, it says in him all things hold together. Think about that. In him all things hold together. Proverbs 16, 9 says in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Again, my steps are ordered of the Lord. That's why, that's why you can trust him. He already knows Psalm 115:3 says our God I love this one I've quoted it before says our God is in heaven he does whatever pleases him. That's just a that's just a, a declarative statement right there it needs no explanation and and it's not open for debate. Our God is in heaven and he does whatever pleases him. And if that rubs you wrong take it up with him. <laughs> you know? Again, you see a lot of people today that want to vent and foam at the mouth over one issue or another issue or whatever. Listen, you don't have to answer to me. God's in heaven. He does whatever He pleases, and we'll all stand before Him and give an account. So so in our story, again, so we talk in Providence in our story, we've seen how... um, in, in a time of famine, Elimelech moves his family away to Moab, which was a foolish decision. While, we're there, while they were there in pagan territory, Elimelech and his two sons die. Okay? Ten years later, Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth prepare to return to Bethlehem. Orpah returns to Moab. Ruth pledges her loyalty to, to Naomi. And together, these two widows, one old and one young, return to Bethlehem. Here's the thing, right at the time of harvest, again we're talking the providence of God it just so happened that they decided to come back at harvest time that's probably around april may time frame naomi feels like god has abandoned her because she left Beth- bethlehem full and she came back empty so again ruth ends ruth 1 ends with this with you and i looking at this and we sense that there's something there's something brewing you, know, sometimes, you ever had something going on and you just, you just had a, it's almost like a, a sixth sense that there's something, there's something going on. You couldn't put your finger on it. You couldn't really articulate it well, but you knew there was something taking place that you didn't want to miss. You knew something was about to happen, but again, what was it? How does this story unfold? Well, again, if it's true that joy comes in the morning, Naomi right now is feeling like she's trapped at midnight. Where's the sunlight of God's kindness? The first three verses of Ruth chapter 2 start to unfold the answer for us, start to give us an, the, the, the pivotal moment that, yes, her life up to this point has been full with one tragedy after another, one disappointment after another, one letdown after another, but there was a man of the family of Elimelech, <laughs> Who had a field. He was a wealthy man. Again, as we study this passage, we can see how God's providence works behind the scenes to accomplish something pretty incredible for Ruth and Naomi. You know, again, you and I have the benefit of reading this story as history, but neither of these two ladies had that. They, they didn't have that insight. They were living it on a day-to-day basis. They got up in the morning. And they did what they needed to do to survive. Give us this day our daily bread. That was their prayer. Get me through today. Let me survive today. That was how they lived. It wasn't one of these things where they look back and they know the end of the story and they live happily ever after and and it was a great story. No, they lived the the misery of it every single day. They had no idea what was about to happen. had no idea that when Ruth decided to go out and glean in the field at, at the harvest time, that she would meet this man by the name of Boaz, who would eventually become her husband, and they would produce uh, the grandfather of King David and, and, and be in the lineage of, of Jesus Christ. She had no idea. In fact, I don't even think she went out there looking. Okay? We live in a, you know, some people go looking. They're looking for a woman. They're looking for a man. Ruth was just looking for food. <laughs> she, just, she just wanted to get by. So how does God's providence work? in the lives of ordinary people like Ruth and Naomi. Let me give you a couple things. Number one, he prepares his people, or he prepares people. Verse 1 says, Now Naomi had a relative of, the, of the, uh, on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from a family. His name was Boaz. Again, so far in the book, there hadn't been very much good news. You know, it's kind of like the old hee-haw song, gloom, despair, and agony on me. Uh, you know, If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. So far, there hadn't been really very much good news for these, these ladies. You know, you have an ill advised trip to Moab, three funerals, three widows, a sad trip back to Bethlehem. Naomi, in her mind, her mindset again, she's not, she hadn't abandoned the faith, but she's wounded in her faith. Okay? So she thinks that God has treated her harshly. The only bright spot. Of this whole story so far, this whole narrative is that Ruth has pledged her undying love to her mother-in-law, and said, "Where you go, where you go, I go. Where you live, I'll live. Where you, your people, my people. Your God, my God." You know, she, that's the only bright spot in this entire story so far. But remember, they got there at harvest time. Again, it may not seem like good news on the surface, but God's working something in the background that we can't even imagine. Again, Ruth is one of the most beautiful short stories that's ever been written. Every, and here's the thing, every detail counts. I was talking to a, a guy Monday uh, evening. We were talking about, he didn't have much of a faith background, and he, was, he said, was Adam and Eve real people? And, you know, so we just started talking about Scripture and, and the Bible, and I, I said, you know, I said, if, if, if a person approached the Scripture with honest scrutiny, I said, it will speak for itself. I said, the problem is we've got so many people today that have, their, their bias is to undo. In fact, I, I've been seeing a lot of advertisements on special shows coming on like History Channel and Discovery Channel, Learning Channel. Don't, don't, don't get your theology from those TV shows. Do, don't. They misconstrue things. They, anyway, I don't have time to get on that. They, they really try to do a number uh, I told him, I said, you know, I, I, I approached, I was skeptic. You know, I grew up in church, ran away, you know, got, rid, got, got away from faith because I thought it was kind of nuts. I said, but, you know, I'm, I'm convinced. I said, I'll, I'll stake my life on it because I truly believe that if you take an honest look at it and let the scriptures come alive to you, you know, I said, there, there's evidence. You know, I mean, we live in a world right now with the sciences, archaeology, I mean, every day, I mean, it's almost like every day you can read of some new archaeological discovery in the Middle East that has, that has proven another facet of the Bible. The Hittites, for instance, you know, who, they never thought the Hittites was an existing tribe. People didn't think the house of David ever existed. They thought he's a metaphorical story. And yet there's so much. Anyway, that's a different sermon. But, but uh, anyway, <laughs> where was I at? There was something there. Oh, every detail counts. That's what it was these these stories are there so so my point what i was telling him was i said you got to understand the bible is not an exhaustive concordance of everything god did nor is it an exhaustive concordance of what everything we should and should not do i said it's the story of god it's a story of God and humanity and how He deals with us and how, how that we lost our way and yet he, he, he factored in that. And He, before the foundation of the world, sent His only begotten Son, prepared and planned for man's inevitable fall to come and save and redeem us. I said, That's the, that's the Bible. There's so many things. I said, The Bible itself even says that if everything that Jesus Himself did, that the world itself could not contain the volumes of what He did. Again, These stories are here for a reason. It's a purpose. It's a beautiful story, but it's an important story because every one of us have chapters of sad things. Every one of us have life stories that include uh, difficult decisions and, and, and from bad to even worse. But this story tells us that, you know what, it's not over until it's over. And it's not over until he says it's over. Because behind the scenes, God is still working for our good and for our favor and for his glory Again, every detail counts. Nothing is added to Scripture as a filler. The beginning of the harvest basically alerts us to changes of fortune, okay? No matter what yesterday was like, we never know what tomorrow may bring. Again, anything can happen in these times. And again, that's kind of the background of the verse. So in, this, in our text tonight, the first mention of Boaz is in our, our Scripture tonight, and we find out that Boaz is related to Elimelech. Later on, we're going to discover that he was qualified as a kinsman redeemer, which that's going to be a good study. But for the moment, all we know is that Elimelech and Boaz are somehow related. We also know that he's a man of high standing within the community. The phrase noble character can also mean something like mighty warrior or even a man of great wealth. So, So Boaz was not just your average joe. He was a respected, honorable man, an influential man. Maybe all three of these ideas came together in Boaz. He was a man of character, a mighty warrior, and a man of wealth. He's the right, he's the right man in the right place at the right time. But here's the thing, he doesn't know it. <laughs> he doesn't know it. See, that's why when we, when we walk, the Bible says we're to, we're to walk in the Spirit. We're to be led of the Spirit sometimes we end up in places we didn't think we would end up, but we're in the right place at the right time. I mean, it just, again, I don't believe in in happenstance. I don't believe in coincidences. I believe, listen, I believe that our steps, if we're walking in covenant with the Lord, our steps are ordered of the Lord. When I did the men's conference a few years ago in West Virginia, one of the one of the things they wanted me to share was how in the world did an Alabama guy end up marrying a Louisiana woman and pastoring a church in Texas? I said, only God. Absolutely only God. It's a story I'll need to share one time if I haven't ever. I don't know if I've ever told that story, but only the prov- only God can do something like that. So verse 1 kind of foreshadows the story That's going to begin to play out. Again, although Naomi came back deeply discouraged, feeling like she had no future, God has been at work behind the scenes without her ever even knowing it. And so now his plans are starting to unfold in the most unlikely way. So my point is this. Are you worried about next week? Well, forget about it. He's already there. See, that's that's what the providence of God is all about. Are you you worried about next year? (laughs) Don't sweat it. You know, if we get that next year, he's already there. In theological terms, this is called the prevenient grace of God, and it simply means the grace that goes before. It means that in every situation, God is already at work before I get there. Before I get there. That's why we, again, that's one of the hardest things that we have as human beings to do is not worry. Isn't that right? Because we worry. I mean, we worry. we worry about worrying right i mean i worry i worry so much <laughs> we, we we just can't help ourselves cuz because there're things that are outside of our control and so we we do get we we are preoccupied with worrying how things are going to turn out not that worry does anything about it to my knowledge worry worry has never solved a problem what what, what does scripture say which of you by worrying can add one moment to its life his life none of us can. None of us can. Again, so you and I really, if we can get it into our spirit and understand that God, again, beginning from the end, He already knows. He's working things according to His master plan. He's already there. See, eternity is not a time. It's not quantitative time. It's a place. And it's outside of time and space as you and I know it. And that's where God is. And He sees. He knows. You know, we oftentimes think of God's presence that goes with us uh, through life, but that's only part of the story. Yeah, He does go with us. He said, never will I leave you nor forsake you, but that's only part of the story. He's not only with us now, He's already on the road ahead of us. He's working it out. He's making the crooked way straight. He's bringing down mountains, raising up valleys. He's calming the seas. He's doing those things right now while you and I are sitting here. We don't understand and we don't know about it. That's not just an, he's not just here right now with us. He's already ahead of us working those things in our favor. Again, it's kind of hard to imagine that while I'm living here right now on Wednesday, God's already in my Saturday working whatever is going on there. Again, there's so much about that that we don't, we can't comprehend. God is already work providing solutions for problems that I don't even know I have yet. <laughs> See my, but my deal is I have to learn to trust Him. Like we like the song Sunday Morning that Curly sang. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. I've got to learn to do that, and that's hard. Are you worried about next week? Don't. Next year, don't. Just learn to sleep well (laughs) because he's got you. He's got you. Again, it doesn't answer the questions that we have, but it ought to at least comfort us. Again, it would would be enough if if God simply walked with us through the events of life. That would be comforting enough, but he does so much more than that. He goes ahead of us. He clears the way for us. He arranges the details of life so that when we get there, we have confidence that he's already been there, done that, set that up for us. You ever walked into a situation and you know it was, you knew it was a divine setup? That's what I'm talking about. If, you, if you've ever walked into a, a situation, whatever that situation may have been, and all of a sudden you just it just clicked and you thought, you know what? God's already set this thing up. Maybe it was a job Interview that you went into, and you just walked in there, and it was just something about it. You just like, you know what? God's ord- God ordained this meeting. God ordained it. You know, when Sheila and I came to Bethel almost twenty nine years ago, actually a week from this coming Sunday, be twenty nine years ago, the first time we walked in the building, and that was one of those moments. You know, we I was content. We were living in Duncanville. I was working for the city. She was working for the feds and, and uh, had a great life, great future. Decided, hey, actually, I didn't decide. The Lord said, I didn't call you to do this. <laughs> Heard about Bethel and my pastor that I was working for at the time. I said, how far is Cleburne from Duncanville? And he said, oh, it's about 15 minutes down the road. To this day, I don't know what he was driving, because uh, <laughs> it, it was certainly certainly not 15, mi- 15 minutes down the road, unless he had a helicopter or something, and I remember sending my resume here. I was 27 years of age, and again, you know some of the story. i told you many times. I You know, Sheila and I, when we got out of the service, I spent uh, spent every dime we had just about traveling Florida, Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, Louisiana looking for places and, you know, whatever reason this didn't work, that didn't work. We went to a place in Jackson, Mississippi that we thought and felt really sincere that this was God's will, ended up not working out. And we came, really, we came to Texas to work. I was content volunteering at a church, working full time. And the Lord kind of prompted me, said, I didn't call you to do this. Found out about Bethel, sent the resume in, thought, oh, it's 15 minutes down the road. That's not too bad. We just bought a new home, and I thought we could do that. Called down here one day, and I talked to a board member's wife, and I don't know much of the story other than the fact that I I had gotten to the point where people kept telling me I was too young, I was too young, to. I actually took my uh, my age off my resume. And so when I talked to this lady, she says, well, we do have your resumes, uh, sir, and and. We noticed that you don't have your age on there. I thought, oh, boy, here we go. She said, can I ask you how old you are? And I said, yes, ma'am, I'm 27 years old. Now, she said, okay, well, if we are interested or want to speak to you further, we'll call you back. That was her answer to me, and she hung up. And I thought, I'll never hear from them again. That had been my experience something prompted me. That was probably early in the week. Something prompted me on about Thursday of that week to call. And I call back and I get a hold of her husband this time, the board member, the actual board member. I get a hold of her husband. I said, hey, I just want to follow up and, and, and make sure that, you know, I, I talked to your wife the other day. He said, yeah, you, she told me you called. And he said, you know, if we have any questions, he said, we really haven't met yet to decide. Uh, we've got quite a few resumes to go through. And, uh, you know, we kind of chit-chatted a little bit, and he says, uh, I said, well, we're getting ready to get off the phone. I said, hey, listen, I understand that in a time of, of, of transition like this that it's awful difficult to get somebody to come down and preach. I said, if you're working a job and everybody else is working a job, just to find somebody to come preach could be a real major challenge. And I said, I just want to tell you, I, I'll be more than happy to come and, and preach for you guys anytime you want me to if you need help. He said, Can I be honest with you? And I said, <laughs> He's going to ask a blunt question. I said, Well, sure. He said, How much do you expect to get paid for that? So I tell everybody, here's my story. Everybody says, How'd you get to Cleveland?" And I tell them I was cheap. Because here's what I told him I said, I'll do it for free. He said, Can you be here Sunday? <laughs> Kid you not. <laughs> he said, Can you be here Sunday? I said, I'll be there. I came down that Sunday, never left, never left. Walked into this building, and it was, you know, it, it was one of those moments that I'm talking about where you knew this was a setup. Later on, I found out from this couple that they had had the discussion, You're not hi- we're not hiring a 27-year-old pastor in this church. They've had that discussion because 27-year-olds don't know anything. And, and I, and thankful, I didn't. <laughs> uh, thankfully, they let me grow up among them. But, but it was one of those moments where you walked into it. Sheila and I walked in, and again, the first thing we noticed when we got here was the ugly shag carpet. It was a 76 build, church building. had the iron shag carpet that had been dry rotted, and there was holes poked in it. And I was scared to death. Some of the little ladies that were in here were going to poke through and trip on that shag carpet. I was scared to death. And I told my wife, I said, if we come here, this carpet's got to go. And within within six months of us being here, the carpet was gone. It was a safety issue. (laughs) You know, we walked in and we felt. We felt like, you know what, this is what we were made for. Listen, it would be enough if God just walked with us through the moments of life, but God's already ahead of us working and preparing and making those arrangements. Even though Naomi didn't know it, and probably wouldn't have believed it if you told her. God was at work during, the, during those hard days in Moab, those ten years in Moab. God was still working in Bethlehem. You know what he was doing? He was preparing Boaz. He was preparing Boaz to come and rescue her and, and Ruth at the right moment. Again, remember Boaz, Boaz didn't know it either, okay? It wasn't like God sent him a letter and said, hey, by the way, in 10 years, there's going to be a lady going to be gleaning in your field. You need to go over there and kind of meet her and you two are going to, he had no idea. Ruth had no idea. Each person in the story is doing just as they pleased and yet it worked out as God intended. That's the providence of God. He prepares people. The second thing, I spent way too long on that topic. The second thing, he arranges the plan. Okay, verse number two, Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind some of whom I find favor? She said, go ahead, my daughter. Ruth and Naomi came back. They were broke. They were living somewhere below the poverty line, which is a dangerous place to be if you're a widow. But Ruth has a plan, and she says, hey, can I go and glean in the fields? Now, there's a couple things there. Ruth, number one, is younger than Naomi, so obviously she's in better physical condition. It would be something that she could do. It meant gleaning was not an easy task. It meant spending hours of back-breaking work to glean enough food to, to, to exist on for however long. Another thing that we find in that, in that, particular, uh, that scripture there is that God had already made provisions for this. Remember, he commanded them that they should leave some grain in the fields for the poor. In fact, Deuteronomy 24 says, When you are harvesting in your field and you, over, and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all your, the work of your hands. In other words, God's saying, look, when you drop some of this on the ground, when you overlook some of that, don't go back and pick it up. Leave it for other people to come, the poor to come and take care of themselves. He commanded them to do the same thing with olives and grapes. What he's saying is don't be so careful in your harvest that you don't leave something behind for those in need. See, God has always been favorable to those in need. What does the Bible say? That when you give to the needy, you lend to God? Ruth, another thing we find in this part here is that Ruth shows her character But notice what she doesn't do. She's not wallowing in self-pity. Think about that. That's a powerful statement. She's not sitting there wallowing in self-pity and saying, well, the state ought to take care of me, or the village ought to take care of me, or these people ought to take care of me. No, she takes responsibility for herself. She says, you know what? If we sit here, it's kind of like the lepers said, why sit we here and die? There's food out in the field. I need to be out there gleaning, so can I go out and, and glean? She gets up. You know what? She does what she has to do each day, trusting God for the results. I think sometimes that's what God, actually not sometimes, that's what we should be doing. We ought to be doing all that we can and trusting God for the results. Ruth moved to meet her basic needs by picking grain that was left by the reapers. It was menial labor, but you know what? She didn't care. She had a need, and she was going to do something about it. And here's the thing. Ruth is not, please don't read there, Ruth's not scheming to get a husband. She's not out in the field gleaning, looking for the rich dude who owns the field. Again, probably not even entered her mind. She's doing what's necessary to take care of herself and her mother-in-law. She's not thinking, well, if I work the fields, then maybe I can meet my future husband. This is not the Old Testament version of eHarmony. She's trying to provide food, the necessity. The third thing is, again, as we look at God's providence, the third thing is he brings the desired results. Verse number 3 says, So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvester. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's house. Again, let's start with the fact that she entered the field. Now, this field is a large tract of land, okay, acres of land, large tract of land, that was divided among people, families, if you will. Eliezer may have the northern section. Caleb may have the middle section or the southwest corner. Jacob would grow over here or whatever. I mean, it was, it was partitioned off, and it was their sections of field. Uh, and, and somewhere in there was Boaz, his piece of property. That's where she ends up. The point I'm making is because this was such a large field, Again, they would take stones and they would, they would mark their territory, but it was their field, but it was one large field, if that makes sense. So the point being, she had no idea whose section of land she was going to end up in. She didn't say, oh, Boaz is my, my, husband, my, my relative through my husband's family. I'm going to go to Boaz's field. She had no way of knowing who, where his field was. She just went out into the field to glean, and I love the way the Bible says, it happened to be. Isn't that interesting? It happened to be Boaz's field. So from a purely human point of view, again, there, listen, if you, believe in bad, if you believe in good luck, listen, I need to tell you, you need to believe in bad luck too, right? I mean, if you, if you believe in luck, you have to believe in bad luck as well, and, and and I hate to break it because the world's under a curse, your chances of having bad luck are probably better than they are of having good luck. I need more than luck to get through life. Listen, nothing in the universe just happens. Nothing in the universe just happens. I love the words of Alva McCain or McLean, who says, From the fall of a raindrop to the fall of an empire, all is under the providential control of God. I like that. That's truth. If not even a sparrow can fall from a branch apart from God's control and the numbers of my hair are numbered by God, then we know that God oversees the tiniest details of life. Nothing happens apart from the knowledge of God. Again, this passage demonstrates, again, how God is working behind the scenes to accomplish His will. Listen, only the Lord knows what's going to happen next. We do because we have the story. But again, as we kind of bring this into close tonight, Boaz hasn't met Ruth yet, and Ruth at this point is just gleaning. She's not planning to meet Boaz. Naomi has no idea that Boaz and Ruth will one day get married, has no idea. She certainly, I can't talk, she certainly can't foresee holding a baby in her arms She has no idea that God is is putting affairs in motion that will put Ruth, uh, uh, the Moabite woman, in the lineage of the Messiah. She has no idea that God's setting them up for that. Someone said that God's will usually comes like a sunrise, not a sunburst. I thought that was a pretty good description. A sunburst, suddenly, boom, there it is. That's, That's not how God's will typically applies or, or comes on the scene. It's usually, it's usually the, the, the sunrise. It's like, it, it's like it comes up, and, and as, it, as it is revealed, it gets brighter and brighter and brighter until we have full knowledge of it. We see glimmers of it. Something like that happened for Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz. Little shafts of light right now are starting to shine above the horizon. See, for Naomi and Ruth, they've been living in midnight. And she wonders if things are ever going to turn around. But then this day comes, and Ruth says, hey, let me go out into the field and glean from the harvesters. There's that peeking of the sun, little ray of light. And as the story goes on into chapter 2, that light gets brighter and brighter and brighter. And then you get to see the full plan and purpose of God. Listen, all they needed to do is to, is to watch, to wait, and to obey. And you know what? Sometimes that's us as well. Sometimes all we need to do, when we get into places that we really don't know, I have people quite often would say, Pastor, what do you do when you don't hear the voice of God? You do what he told you last time to do. Listen, until we have new marching orders, we keep, we keep obeying the last marching orders that we have. We stay obedient and true to what God has told us, until and if new direction comes, then we move on and obey those. But watch, wait, and work. Keep doing what we know to do. See, the God who took care of Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz is the same God you and I serve. And like they are learning to trust Him. Again, they're wounded, but they're still trusting Him. What caused her to get up every morning to go out to the field, Trust in the fact that God had already made provisions for them? It's the same thing for us. I love Charles Spurgeon who said it like this, blessed is the man who seeth God in the trifles, in the trifles. See, we tend to look for God in the million-dollar answers to prayer so we, we can say what a mighty God that we serve. But, you know, the God of the large is still God of the small, the trifles. The God who hung the stars in space is also the guy, the God who numbers the hairs on our head. I mean, why should we be surprised that God has arranged for Ruth to happen to be gleaning in Boaz's field? Why should we be surprised of that? Circumstances are the, finger, the fingerprints of God. They're the fingerprints of God. No one saw it clearly that day in Bethlehem. Ruth didn't see it. Naomi didn't see it. Boaz didn't see it. God's plan would only become clear later. And that's the way it is for us as I I close tonight. John Piper says it like this. God is perhaps doing 10,000 things in your life right now. You understand maybe three. (laughs) It's kind of a good way to look at it. God may be doing 10,000 things in your life right now, and you only understand three of those things, but he's still working. What's that song we sing? He never stops, never stops working, always on our behalf. We can't even begin to imagine all that God is doing for us, even right now, while we sit in this building. See that truth right there. As I close, ought to ought to build your faith that God is working in my life right now in ten thousand ways or more. And I'm not. And it should humble us because the second part of that is, and I'm not smart enough to understand, but only three. <laughs> so I just need to trust Him. The providence of God gives us confidence in the moment of confusion. Again, in our world right now, there's a lot of confusion. And having confidence in the providence of God. Listen, all of this stuff that's going on, I, you know, I hate. Again, for me, I hate to say. I, I don't like where we are as a nation. I don't like what I see that we've become, and 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 the degradation, and the. I, I just don't. I don't like it. And I, I know what the Bible teaches, but, listen, with my dying breath, I'm going to proclaim the good news. I'm not going to give a hope. I'm not going to give up hope that things can change, that revival can come. I know there are people that have already driven the last nail on the coffin of our great nation. I understand that. But you know what? Until we have no more breath to give, we are to proclaim His greatness and goodness and His mercy to everyone and everywhere. I have confidence and I have hope in these days of confusion I'm not confused because I know who holds tomorrow, and as long as I know that, as long as I have confidence, listen. Every day, you know, and 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 I, I promise I'm closing. There, there are times that I can't get a hold of my, and and I've shared this with you before. There are times I can't get a hold of Sheila. You know, I try to check on her a couple times during the day. Um, you know, I get up, get her ready for for the day, come to the office. At lunch, I go home, get her lunch, get her squared away for the afternoon, come back to the office, and I go home and get her dinner and things like that. (coughs) There are times that I can't reach her. And you know how your imagination, you know, your imagination runs where you think, man, what's, what's happened? You know, there have been times when my daughter couldn't get her, I couldn't get her, her mama couldn't get her. And your mind is running a million miles. In fact, there's been times I've, asked, I've been out of town and I've said, hey, Brent, can you run home and check on Sheila? And <laughs> my mind thinking, you know what, I'm going to walk in and I'm going to expect. I'm, I'm walking in expecting the worst, you know, the reality of it. But you, here's the thing. I still have confidence because I know who holds tomorrow. And if I didn't have that confidence, I'd quit doing what I'm doing. I'd go work at Walmart. No, no, I really wouldn't. I back that up. <laughs> so, so bottom line is, this. don't you stand with me? I got to stop. God has not brought us this far just to fail. There is no such thing as happenstance, circumstance, uh, happenstance, or luck, or coincidences no matter where you are right now, and particularly those that are online tonight, no matter where you are right now, God is orchestrating the events of your life. You say, well, why are things so bad? Well, you know, sometimes we're guilty of making really poor choices, (laughs) right? How did this story start to begin with? Elimelech chose to go to Moab. It was a foolish decision. Now, did God know? He knows everything, sure. But it started because the man decided he was going to go where God said not to go. And that started it all. But notice how God is taking that man's foolish decision and the consequences of it and is turning it around to make it the miracle story that you and I see. So that's what I'm saying in closing is that, you know what, God can even overcome our... Our, our foolishness and the stupid choices that we make, He can still turn those into something incredibly beautiful. If we keep having that confidence, won't you bow with me as we close the prayer this, this evening? And here's here's what I'm going to ask this this question here. Nobody looking around and online. If you're in the middle of a chapter that is not favorable, you say, Pastor, you know what I'm. I'm in mean, one of those chapters kind of like what Ruth 1 is where it seems like it's one bad story after another. One, you know, the washing machine broke, the car broke, the, the dog got sick, the, you know, on and on and on it goes or even worse than that. You see, I'm in that chapter right now. Well, I'm just here to tell you tonight that you might be in chapter 1, but there's a chapter 2 coming. There's events that are going to change because God's working behind the scenes. So have faith and trust him. But if you're here tonight and say, Pastor, that's me. I'm in one of those chapters right now, and I need God. I want to have that confidence. I want to trust him. I want to walk in that confidence. If you're online, if you'll comment. If you're here tonight, just slip your hand right right back down. I'm going to pray for you tonight. Listen, I believe. With everything in me, I believe. Let's pray. Father, tonight I do love you so much, and I thank you once again for this incredible story of Ruth. Lord, even as we close this story out tonight, she, she can't see what we know. Lord, she right now is seeing her daily sustenance being met by going out into a field to glean from the, the fields. But Lord, little does she know that, Lord, you've divinely set them up to fulfill your plans and purposes in ways that they can't even fathom. Naomi's still broken and busted and bruised, and Ruth, Lord, is serving her mother-in-law, and has no idea that you have a. She's a she's a Moabite. She has no privilege or rights where Naomi lives. But Lord, yet you choose her, and you're going to do something incredible through her, and she can't see it at this point in the story. But Lord, we can in history, looking back, and we see how you took the bad and the. And and all those negative situations and you turned them around and made something beautiful. Lord, let that be a reminder to us. Lord, maybe we find ourselves in that middle chapter of our, our lives. Maybe it's been a bad chapter. Maybe we've been full of, it's been full of heartache and disappointment and letdown and frustration and maybe betrayal. Lord, as we close out that chapter, Lord, I pray that we tonight turn the page. Lord, maybe we don't fully see the sun light bursting forth the rays of the sun maybe maybe we just have a little glimpse of light but lord let that height that light birth hope in us that the narrative is about the change that the story is about the change that you're working things behind the scenes in 10,000 ways that we can't understand but maybe just a small amount let us have that confidence tonight as we walk out of here let us know that god you know the beginning from the end and you order our steps and lord we can trust you because you've been trustworthy all through our lives. Now, I ask you to go with us now with great confidence tonight. Let us sleep well, resting in you and releasing those things that cause us to worry. Lord, let us to release that and be blessed with rest and healing and rejuvenation. Lord, go with us now. Give us a great evening. Should you, Terry, bring us again on Sunday. Lord, I pray that, Lord, your presence would fill this place on Sunday in an incredible way. Lord, as we celebrate God and country, Lord, I pray that even then that we see just an incredible revelation of your spirit to those who are still bound. Let them experience freedom in a newfound way. I love you and I bless each one here in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you and I love you very much.